Everybody. Welcome to the July 21st, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Duziti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the five-year anniversary of the Aurora Movie Theater shooting, killing 12 people and injuring over 50 others. Plans for a permanent memorial are moving forward with a reflection garden slated for completion in May of 2018. Patty Cahoon from Westward, this was an event that has changed Colorado in many different ways. And uh, at least hopefully we're going to see this memorial garden or the reflection garden done by next May. But I guess a part of me was surprised that we haven't seen it yet. As we look at the five-year anniversary, what are your thoughts? Well, let's remember Columbine's memorial didn't come that quickly either. True. And we will never forget Columbine, just like we won't, won't forget this shooting. But what we also have to remember is this is one of the real t true terrorisms we have to worry about. It's our homegrown terrorists that need mental health, that aren't getting the mental health they need. And that is certainly one of the moves we've seen since the Aurora Theater shooting is more emphasis statewide on funding for mental health. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. What would you uh, point to as some of the bigger impacts from this event five years ago? Well, we've, I'm not sure we had any big impacts. We had, as Petty said, it, it, it raised awareness of the mental health issue. Now, the, the, this particular criminal, since he was a student at, at CU, actually had access to, to mental health uh, help, but 20% of people in, in state prisons for homicide are severely mentally ill, according to the studies. And it's a terrible way to, to deal with that problem. And, and I think Governor Hickenlooper was right. We need more resources on it. We've made some, some small steps in that regard. But there's much, much further uh, to go, including having inpatient treatment available to the people who know they're uh, decompressing and want to get the treatment and check themselves in, and, and far too often uh, they're turned away because there are no beds available. Eric Sondran, political analyst, uh, this event did, I'm not sure if I say radically, but it significantly changed and affected the Colorado political scene. Uh, the whole recall effort came about through all the different, uh, uh, different laws and bills that came from as a, as a response to this event. As you look back politically, what are some of the, the, the bigger impacts you've seen? I think you just nailed it in your question, Dominic. It led, predictably so, and perhaps appropriately so, that is in the eye of the beholder, to the legislation that a Democratic legislator with a de legislature with a Democratic governor passed. Uh, those three gun bills, David, help me, 2013? Uh, 2013, yes. 2013. And... Uh, and then the counter-reaction to that with uh, uh, the recalls of Senator Morse and Senator Heron from Pueblo, uh, the Democrats then losing control of the state Senate to give the Republicans again a toehold, a small toehold, but a toehold at the state Capitol. And I think a lot of that dates to July 20th, 2012 in Aurora. I'm left, I mean, we were halfway around the world when this happened, and obviously it was one of those moments that you remember forever. I'm just left with the randomness of these events, uh, and I mean, obviously the sadness and the tragedy, but uh, just just the randomness, and Colorado is all too familiar with them. 
John Bowman, reporter of Five Points News, there were various issues that came out of this, whether it was talking about mental health, how we approached a movie theater, uh, everything from gun control and politics and everything in between. As you look at the impact five years later, what stands out to you? Well, what stands out to me is one of the uh, one of the victims in this case. Um, you know, he he made a um, he was shot and he he made a good comeback. Uh, got married, uh, put out a book, made a lot of money on speaking tours. But he hired a bad he hired a bad agent, and that agent has really made him a double victim of sorts because he he ripped off most of the money that this kid had. Um, I just think uh, you know, after doing a 14-hour shift outside of his apartment on Peoria. And seventeenth, uh, it was just one of those situations where you look at you look at you look at this whole in, in, incident. And as Patty mentioned, you know, we talk about terrorism, we talk about urban terrorism, all these different things. But if if somebody is is Islamic or Muslim, they're a terrorist. If they're black or brown, they're a thug. If they're white, they've got mental illnesses. And this guy should be treated like a terrorist, as far as I'm concerned. On the heels of Ed Perlmutter dropping out of the governor's race last week, other candidates are making waves in the race. Republican candidate Victor Mitchell, who has already loaned his campaign a little more than $3 million, spoke negatively about his fellow GOP candidates, stating that attorneys shouldn't be anywhere near the executive branch of government. Meanwhile, numbers from the most recent fundraising period were released showing Democrat Kerry Kennedy raising $343,000 and Michael Johnson also with an impressive $300,000 for his second reporting period. Patty, uh, a lot to choose from here. You have uh, Republicans already making it a negative, uh, a camp, a negative um, primary campaign, and you have some pretty impressive numbers from Kennedy and Johnston. Take your pick. Well, it's, so it's the first um, lap of the clown car for the Republicans. So they actually had a debate this past weekend, which obviously got Victor Mitchell fired up. So he not only took after attorneys, which is clearly uh, leveled at George Brockler, who is the front runner until we see if Cynthia Kaufman gets in, if Walker Stapleton gets in, but then he went after Utah. You know, what could be worse than accepting cash money from Utah, <laughs> which Doug Robinson has done? Now, as Doug Robinson also pointed out, Victor Mitchell has raised, what, 5% of what? Who knows where that, you know, pittance has come from because he has $3 billion of his own to put in. So the Republicans are already swinging, which is going to make for a very, very entertaining time. And certainly more people are going to be entering. On the Democrat side, you just look at the amount of money that is coming in. Everyone says this is going to be the most expensive election since Hickamoper, and I think it will go far beyond that. Mike Johnson is closing in on a million after his first reporting period. Kerry Kennedy is doing very well. So if Donna Lynn or anyone else is going to get in this race, they're going to have to do it pretty fast if they want to collect money, maybe from Utah, an <laughs> untapped source. David, it did certainly seemed that Victor Mitchell was not afraid of breaking Reagan's 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of your fellow Republican. Is this a way, you think, to... to, to make some notoriety because he knows that at this point, like, like Patty said, we don't know about Walker Stapleton, we don't know about Cynthia Kaufman. He's facing an uphill battle with a potential frontrunner in Brockler and somebody pretty well uh, funded and connected uh, like Robinson? Sure. It, it's an early sign of, of desperation. Um, he's also ensured that he won't get anywhere near the executive branch of government because he said he opposes and would want to repeal the re-legalization of marijuana uh, enacted by the voters. So if the Republicans were somehow foolish enough to hand him the nomination, um, the, the, he, 
I think is, has no viability in the general election. And his remark about attorneys, um, here are some attorneys who have gotten near the executive branch of government. Uh, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe, John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, Abe Lincoln, Grover Cleveland, and Calvin Coolidge. All of them, in my view, pretty good presidents. Um, and uh, I think Mr. Mitchell lacks the historical uh, understanding to serve in any office. I challenge any other program out there to feature Calvin Coolidge or any other of those uh, <laughs> wonderful presidents on a regular basis. Uh, you're welcome, everybody. Uh, Eric, as you look at the Republican primary right now, we've been dancing around it, but without somebody like Kaufman or Stapleton in the race, is Brockler the front runner? Yeah, Brockler is the nominal front runner in a party that isn't the front-running party right now. I've been of the mind for quite some period that the winner of the Democratic nomination, if they are at all electable and don't, uh, and, and don't make a complete mess of it, is likely to win this election simply because I believe that Colorado these days, we're not a bright blue state. We're a purple state, but a purple state with a slight blue tint to it. And the year of 2018, just as 2014 and 2016 were good Republican years, every, every indication is that 2018 will be a good Democratic year. So you take a lean blue state and a bright blue year, uh, the winner of the Democratic nomination is going to have an advantage here. I'd add to David's list of, of lawyers need to near the executive just here in Colorado and just in rather recent political memory, let's go with the last half century, you have Governor John Love, you have Governor Dick Lamb, you have Governor Bill Ritter. You can make them what you will, but I believe that's three out of the last six or seven governors have been attorneys, and the state, I think, did fairly well uh, under their leadership. Lastly, there's this fixation on money right now, and the reason for that, I'm not even sure money is the most important thing right now, but the reason is it's the one thing that's measurable. It's the one thing that is reportable. It becomes the early primary because reporters can quantify it. Everything else is qualitative. Money is quantitative. You add it up. You report it every three months. So it becomes the early primary. And then the other question is how much it matters. It matters, believe me. But how much it matters when you have at least one person on the Democratic side and maybe one or more people on the Republican side who can self-fund and write an unlimited check. John, when I look at the Democratic side of the coin, uh, with Perlmutter exiting the race, that's not only a major name away from the primary ballot, but also a big name who's been dialing for dollars. So <laughs> he's not calling anymore. Now you have Johnston and Kennedy in line to call that number. Who has the edge for a potential Perlmutter donation, donor? Who has the edge between Kennedy and Johnston? Around the state, you would probably have to say Johnston, but uh, at the same time, you know, we're talking about Mitchell. This is a guy. This is a. This is another guy, another millionaire who says, you know, I can win, win, win. I'm, aren't we in the middle of one of these millionaire kind of guys like this already? Um, and and I, I, David is. Wasn't Obama a lawyer as yes. well? Yes. So let's put Obama right up there with the list that you read off as well. And you know, this guy is already. Mitchell is already coming out with a finger pointing, the name calling. He doesn't want a lawyer to be, you know, near the executive branch. Uh, who's next? Uh, next week, will it be historians? Will it be accountants? Will it be blacks, women? Uh, I mean, this guy is probably a Trump wannabe, and we need to dismiss him summarily. Airport officials released a 15,000-page contract for the $1.8 billion, with a B, dollar renovation of DIA's terminal this week. Meanwhile, a recent auditor's report indicated a failure to thoroughly review technical standards for airfield projects, which led to significant deterioration of new runway pavements, costing DIA close to $3 million. 
David, uh, usually when we see the whole public-private partnership, that seems to be a nice combination here. But $1.8 is a lot of money, <laughs> and although it's a smaller example, can DIA be trusted to manage a project of this magnitude? Of course not. <laughs> I guess you, it was a softball. <laughs> you can go back to the construction of DIA and remember the uh, automated baggage system that was going to be so wonderful and, in fact, never, ever worked. They can't even pave their runways properly, and now you, they want $1.8 billion. The um, Denver Business Journal has a, a good, they put up the promotional video for, um, from DIA for what it would look like uh, after this. And so, th theoretically, there's going to be some improvements in, in uh, the speed of security screening. And that, that's fine, and that's a legitimate thing. But I think most of the money for this hugely, insanely expensive reconfiguration is they're going to make level five into this shopping mall. And an airport is not for the purpose of shopping. You don't go to the airport and go through screening so you can go to the mall. <laughs> there's plenty of shopping already on the concourses and already at, at, at DIA, and I think it is foolish to think that there's going to be some big more additional economic activities. Oh, let's go to the airport four hours early, because then we can go through security and we can spend a couple hours enjoying the, this great new mall and, and having a shopping experience. Fortunately, Kevin Flynn, formerly of this show, is on the city council. He's definitely a, a big government guy who likes spending money on transportation, but he's also thoughtful and well-informed, and I'm really glad he's going to be there to uh, review and analyze the details of this proposal. Eric, we heard this from airport officials, and I guess my question here is, you have airport officials, are they really truly independent of the city? And I guess where it would matter is, if this does go a little off track, does the city government and its leadership, namely right now Mayor Hancock, end up paying that price, or is the airport separate enough where people can blame it and its officials if there's a problem? Well, ask uh, Wellington Webb about that when the airport <laughs> when the airport didn't get open and didn't get open and didn't get open and meet its timetable. No, the political leadership ultimately pays the price. I'm not necessarily opposed to public-private partnerships, but I think the amount of vetting they require, the bar to clear is a very high bar. Uh, I do worry that we get into this uh, pattern where we privatize the upside. So the private company gets a lot of the upside benefit, but the public bears much of the risk. We talk about the $3 billion number. Uh, and yes, this company, Ferrovial, for or if I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, is going to put in a bunch of cash. But as I understand it, most of the first $600 million is public money. The initial injection is public money. David is dead on the mark, dead right, uh, in terms of what the purpose of this is. And retail is, is, is driving this show. I look around that airport, and yes, there's room for improvement. And it is now, what, 22 years old, something mm -hmm. like that. It, you know, you need to keep it current and keep it modernized. But it looks pretty... It's still got a little sparkle to me. It functions reasonably well. Yes, security needs to go better. Maybe security's not in the ideal location. But I don't know that it requires three, excuse me, $3 billion. <laughs> and I don't think Denver really needs, I mean, David said it better than I'm saying it. I don't know that we need another shopping experience when people just want to get through the airport and catch a flight. John, uh, people hear $1.8 billion. A, that's a lot of money. And B, it's just the terminal. I mean, we're not talking about the entire airport or building something brand new. It's just the terminal. And this is before we may even hear about needing to grow or adapt the concourses, which is really, think, where the river hits the road if you're going to do it that way. What do you think about the project that we've seen so far? 
Well, you got to understand the airport is an enterprise zone with the city. So that the, the money that they generate out there doesn't go back to the general fund. So they are a little fiefdom of sorts uh, unto themselves out there. I don't know if you saw the spot when we, they just announced the Paris flights direct mm -hmm. from DIA. And so the mayor and Kim Day sitting there uh, acting like they just got this wire, you know, this Western Union, uh, you know, from Paris saying the flights are going to start. Uh, this is all this is all um, a situation out there where if, if if Norm Early was still running for, you know, in politics these days, I don't know if you remember when Norm Early started, he had a 43 share against Webb. And then th this is when the airport was still in its planning stages. And they came up with an acronym DIA. And all of a sudden, they asked, they asked early about DIA, and he said, oh, DOA? I think it's dead on arrival. And his numbers went from 43 down to about 3, and that's when Webb ended up winning. Um, I think there has to be eyes on the airport, but at the same time, if this money will help make flying safer, if it will make uh, pilots safer in the air and landing, if it will give the uh, air traffic controllers who the, uh, the president wants to privatize, if it will give them more tools to make it safe, then I say let's go for it. I can't imagine any of that going through the terminal, but, you know, who knows. Uh, Patty, 15,000 pages in a contract. Besides David, who's going to read this thing? Kevin Flynn, I hope. And that's one of the great things about having him there. It's about as much time as you get to read yet another iteration of the health care bill. So you hope they take their time at city council. You hope they don't find a little secret thing like, oh, automated, ba automated baggage system, which United was so hot on and which still haunts the bowels of DIA. Uh, some of the, I toured, and some of the things make some sense. I mean, I didn't, the security I didn't understand till I walked through and saw where they were thinking about moving security. That makes sense, because the security um, is a, a nightmare now. Even when it runs smoothly, it is, it, you flee to your gate because you don't want to go through it. I think you would have plenty of time to go down and shop, and maybe those pilots will be able to buy Starbucks, which I guess is going to be a DIA, too, so they'll at least stay awake during their flight, and that will be safer. But there's a lot going on in this plan, and if anything goes wrong, it will be the mayor and the city council who are ultimately responsible for this contract. It is not just DIA. Hopefully a lot of eyes on this one. U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos was met with protests this week during her trip to Denver to address the American Legislative Exchange Council. Hundreds of activists and teachers protested her visit on Wednesday, culminating on the steps of the state capitol. Eric, uh, protests are becoming, I'm going to say, a blase, but they're, 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 we've seen a lot of them nowadays. Did this one make a difference seeing who was involved? It was predictable. Betsy DeVos has become a lightning rod. And I, let's be clear at the beginning, I'm not a huge Betsy DeVos fan. I might agree with a significant part of her ideology. I'm not sure she's the most qualified or, let's be blunt, the brightest bulb out there. Uh, I'm not even all that convinced why we have a U.S. Department of Education or, if so, why it needs to grow and grow. Education historically has been much more of a local responsibility. I understand there are now federal standards and all the rest. But this has just sent all the usual suspects running to their corner. The demonstration was a Colorado Education Association, CEA production. Uh, those who were on the wrong political side, even within the Democratic Party from CEA, were summarily excluded or disinvited from this event. This was a union event. 
and it, it was it was just predictable. Democrats internally need to move beyond these fights. Uh, CEA and some of its allies continue to fight these rearguard actions against choice, against charters. I'm not talking about vouchers or any kind of privatization. They keep talking about the privatization of charters. There are maybe two or three out of 200 some charter schools in Colorado that are run privately. All the rest are nonprofits. There's a lot of hype, a lot of noise, and the Democratic Party needs to quit running to their corners on this issue and, and, and look to the future. John T. Anderson, the young man running for the Denver Public School Board, uh, making some headlines mainly because of his age, was involved in this protest. Is that a, a healthy thing to be attached to if he's going to be running for the DPS School Board? Uh, probably not, but he's 18, so he's he's that's the exuberance of youth, maybe. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, having somebody like that on the school board might not be a bad idea, might not be a bad thing. We've for years had one woman who was she's had every job in the city, I think, except mayor. Um, you know, Happy Haynes was on the board; she was the president. She's now the chief of staff. She's on the parks, head of the parks and rec. I mean, so maybe having some new young blood in there might be a good thing. At, at the same time, you know. Know, um, with DeVos, DeVos, 23 states now have 40 new laws relating to school choice this year alone. So I don't know where that's going to go in terms of Colorado. But um, as, as uh, Eric mentioned, there are a ton of, ton of charter schools in the state, some private, some publicly funded. So it, it's, this, is a, this is not going to go away, bottom line. Petty, uh, a protest by a federal official coming to town, is it going to make a difference with anybody else locally? I think it'll make a difference in the school board race coming up. We've got some interesting candidates. Barbara O'Brien uh, just announced again that she's running for the school board. Tay Anderson, we posted a story about him this morning. He is an interesting guy, and I think it is time for, he just graduated from manual, it is time to get a student in there. He actually just wanted to be a student trustee, but when they wouldn't create that kind of position, he's like, okay, I'll run. And I think people really care. I mean, charter schools are going to be around that's for sure, but I don't think we necessarily have to have Betsy DeVos around to run them. David, wrap it up for us. Betsy DeVos would be the first person to tell me she shouldn't run charter schools, that the, uh, there's over-centralization, over-federalization of education policy in, in the first place. The Department of Education was created uh, under Jimmy Carter as a political payoff to the National Education Association. And today on the, yep, on the, at the state capitol yesterday, you can see the rage of that union uh, when it doesn't get to run that cabinet agency for its own benefit. This is the classic conflict you have between a state-created monopoly versus consumers. And whenever there's any movement away from for more, more choice for consumers, better quality for them, versus the monopoly having all the power and the consumers having no choice, the monopoly gets outraged. And that was the, the, uh, what we saw yesterday. It's time for a fair part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And remember, if you ever want to send us your Disgrace of the Week or say something nice about somebody, go to our Twitter page or Facebook page. It's all there for us. We have, for you, we have a, a hashtag, CO Inside Out. Be sure to put it to use. But as always, Patty, you start us off. Well, talking about protests, on Monday, some of the ADAPT protesters who were at Cory Gardner's will be on trial for trespass in Denver County Court. be nice to see some of those things dropped. would be good to have Senator Cory Gardner actually speak to them, hold a town hall meeting. Although Tuesday, I guess, we'll find out how he feels about this latest iteration of the health care bill. Good job, the Republicans, seven years to repeal Obamacare, and it's more confusing than ever. David. 
Colorado State University Pueblo, which is about to uh, settle uh, to avoid uh, settle a lawsuit and pay taxpayer money uh, for another Department of Education inspired stupid thing they did, which was persecute and suspend a student athlete supposedly for sexual assault, although his girlfriend, the supposed person was assaulted, said, of course it was consensual. And the whole thing started because some CSU employee saw that the woman had a hickey. Uh, completely irresponsible behavior uh, by CSU Pueblo. Eric. So many possibilities this week, Dominic, but let's go with the President of the United States. I mean, Donald <laughs> Trump yesterday, July 20th, had been, has now been President for six months, only feels like six years or longer. It is hard to see how this trajectory maintains any altitude at all. You look at six months and you ask yourself, are we tired of all this winning yet? And the White House, I, I can't, with the exception of a Supreme Court justice, Colorado-based no less, I don't know what they have to point to. First, if you look at presidencies historically, first six months are when most of major accomplishments take place. And if you read his recent interview in the New York Times, it's completely unhinged. John. Uh, I say uh, th this, is, this bond issue that uh, the mayor just un un unveiled this week, I mean, can we get a report card on where this money is going to be used? It's funny how the bond issues go in, in, in Denver, if you notice. They give enough to fund half of a project, and then they hit you up for the next election for the other half of the project. We've already started. We've got to get more money to finish it. So the National Western will be the next one we want to keep our eyes on on that one. Let's either say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty. Speaking of the National Western, the National Western has taken over the Denver County Fair. And when you think about it's a natural fit, stock show, county fairs. So hope it goes well there. The original founders seem very excited about it. So this weekend, get out to the National Western. David. Two quick things. Longmont Housing Authority Attorney David Herrera, who said, no, actually the police cannot search people's apartments without a warrant just because they can do that for somebody who's on probation. Um, and the voters of Broomfield who defeated a recall effort against a city council person because he took a scientific approach uh, to oil and gas issues. Eric. Hope I have the pronunciation right. Lu Chabo, the Chinese dissident, uh, lead protester, recently died of liver cancer and Nobel, won a Nobel Peace Prize in, in custody and really showed the Chinese government for what they are as true authoritarians, true, true totalitarians. May he rest in peace. John. And I would say Chris Vanderveen from Channel 9. I don't know if you saw the piece that he did on the uh, officers who were the first responders mm -hmm. to the theater tragedy, but that's a must-see. And I guess parking will probably be cheaper at DIA than it is at Cherry Creek North. So. <laughs> that is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. We want to welcome a new important broadcast partner to our CIO family, 88.1 KDNK Public Radio in Carbondale, who now feature Colorado Inside Out every Tuesday morning at 5.30 a.m. as part of their public affairs block. Thanks for joining us. When you're in the Roaring Fork Valley, be sure to check them out. Speaking of the Roaring Fork Valley, be sure to check out the new season of Street Level, looking at the city of Glenwood Springs. As always, be sure to check out our CIO postgame segment on Twitter and Facebook. And for everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.